It's good to see everybody tonight on this midweek service. We're uh, starting the Gospel of John, and uh, I'm very excited about that, and I, I hope that you're excited about that. As, as Brother Justin announced, we're not going to go through the entire chapter, first chapter tonight, and that was at my request. We're only going to go 1 through 18. There are 51 verses in the first chapter of John, and uh, I wanted to spend some time doing an introduction to the Gospel of John because the Gospel of John is unique. And there's a reason why it's unique, and I want to start out by talking about its uniqueness. So uh, why is the Gospel of John different than the other three Gospels? The other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are often referred to as the synoptic Gospels. You've probably heard that term used before, and all that means is they are a synopsis or a summary of Jesus' life and ministry. And that's really the details that they give is what Jesus did when he was on the earth. And most of the time, those events are in chronological order, especially Luke's, as Luke was uh, paid a lot of attention to detail and tried to give the events of Jesus' ministry and life in chronological detail, where John does not. Sometimes John, as he's going through some of the events of Jesus' life, the chronology is not uh, in, in that order. He may switch those things around. His is more about point for point. But John also doesn't focus so much on what Jesus did as much as who Jesus is. And that's really where John's gospel is different. So I want to outline just for our attention to kind of get the idea of why we say John's gospel is different. Some of the most significant events in Jesus' life are not told in John's gospel, such as the temptation of Jesus, Jesus' transfiguration, the institution of the Lord's Supper, a very significant event in Jesus' life, is not spoken of or recorded in John's Gospel. This one was interesting to me. There are no instances in John's Gospel of Jesus casting out demons. Now, there are seven miracles that are recorded in John's Gospel, just seven, and none of those are ever about demons. In fact, you won't find the word demon um, referring to demons in John's Gospel, although you do hear things about the devil. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is not in John's Gospel. The Lord's Prayer, not there. And also, this is another big one. The foretelling of Jerusalem's destruction is not in John's Gospel. While well, it is included in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. So these are very significant things. Uh, we'll get to some more significant things that are excluded from John's Gospel here in a moment. But some things that are in John's Gospel, that aren't in the other Gospels, are also huge. All the material from John 2 to John 4 is exclusively in John. That is the wedding at Cana, the, the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus about the kingdom and being born again into the kingdom. And then Jesus' interaction uh, there in John 4 with the woman at the well. Those are only in John. Jesus' early Galilean ministry is portrayed in some of these stories that we don't see in any of the other three. Also, the bread of life discourse, which is in John 6, where Jesus explains after he feeds the thousands who he truly is and what he has truly come to do, is not in the other Gospels. There are extensive details about Jesus' work in Jerusalem where there's really just a very small portion of detail in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about what Jesus did in Jerusalem. And I've got down here at the bottom that there's a detailed view of Christ's last week as he is in Jerusalem, and it's covered by these uh, eight chapters from John 12 to John 20. Uh, we also have the resurrection of Lazarus spoken about in John's gospel, which another is a huge, and I put the seventh sign miracle because that's a common term that Bible students use to describe that because it is the seventh miracle in John's book, which is 
the greatest of his miracles as far, uh, excluding the resurrection of Jesus, of course, but a great miracle that was performed there showing who Jesus was. And then the extended farewell discourse from John 13 to John 17 where he, in a very intimate setting, talks to his apostles about him leaving and trying to help comfort them and uh, reassure them that he's not going to leave them alone, even though he himself is leaving them. So John's gospel, again, very, very different. But there's also a couple of other differences that I think will really help us in this study as we go through this book to recognize. These are very emphatic differences, and it will also help us understand why John's book is so different. So I want to talk about the kingdom, the teaching of the kingdom versus the teachings of eternal life. So if you look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the kingdom is very heavy, very heavy. Only five times in John's writing does he even mention the word kingdom. Twice in John 3, when he talks to Nicodemus, and three times in one verse in John 18, 36, where Pilate says, are you a king? Is your kingdom of this world? And Jesus answers him. That's the only two times where Jesus mentions the kingdom or John even writes about the kingdom. That's huge because the kingdom was the subject of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, on the other end of the pendulum, eternal life references in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 13 times combined in these very lengthy Gospels where John mentions eternal life 40 times in his Gospel. That gives us an indication as to what John's purpose is. John's purpose was not to teach about the kingdom. John's purpose was not to talk uh, about Jesus' parables, and we'll get to that in just a moment as well. But John's purpose was to give us a view of eternal life that is in Christ Jesus, and that's why uh, I've entitled this lesson, The Light of Life, because that was really what John was talking about. So John's letter is high in what we call Christology, that is, who Jesus is. Again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk a lot about what Jesus did, where John really is honed in on who Jesus is. And so he answers several questions. Who is Jesus? Is Jesus created? That might seem like a crazy question for, for us to even consider. But that is a huge and popular doctrine it, that still exists today. Even uh, And I'm not being critical, I'm just giving you some information here. Even the Jehovah Witnesses today don't believe that Jesus is eternal. They believe he was as an incarnation of Michael the archangel. And so this is a big question we have to answer. Was Jesus created by God? Did Jesus actually live in flesh? Well, who here believes that that one's not right? Well, that was a huge part of John's message, not only in his gospel, but also in all three of his epistles, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. He talks about Jesus being flesh over and over and over. Why is that? Because John, and many have supposed that John, his gospel was different because he wrote it after Jerusalem was destroyed. Now, that, there's some uh, supposition in that, but there's a lot of validity also to the argument just simply on the fact that John doesn't talk about the kingdom. He doesn't emphasize Judaism. He doesn't emphasize a lot of things that the other gospels emphasize. And also he's writing to an audience of people about a very different aspect of Jesus. And so people have supposed that because Gnosticism, uh, which was, which was just was a view about the world had crept into the church, and some of the things they were saying was Jesus wasn't deity, he wasn't flesh, he came and lived in a spirit body, and there were also questions about whether or not there was a resurrection. 
And so John deals with all those things. In fact, if you look at John's uh, first epistle, one of the things that he mentions in there is if anybody says that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, he is antichrist. Well, why would he say that? Because people were saying Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. And so John, throughout this gospel, shows through many infallible proofs that Jesus actually was a man. He was actually a man. So not only does he deal with Jesus being God, but he also deals with Jesus being man. So John chapter 1 verse 1, let's get into this chapter. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, here's something else unique about John's gospel. This is a different way to start a gospel. I mean, you know, you have Luke kind of giving his introduction to Theophilus about what he's writing about. And then you have Mark, which says in the beginning, and he talks about Jesus' ministry. And then you have Matthew, which just starts out with this long genealogical list proving that Jesus actually followed the genealogies that were prophesied. And so in this one, he doesn't even start out with any of that. It doesn't even start out with the birth of Jesus. In fact, if you look through here, the birth of Jesus is not recorded. He just says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning... With God, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and life, the life, was the light of men. Do you read anything like that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? You know, one of the things that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John don't talk about is Jesus' connection to the creation. John here tells us in these first Four verses, Jesus is God, was with God, and oh, by the way, Jesus created everything that was made. That's big. <laughs> to start the gospel right there, that's big. But I want to think about this for a minute. He calls Jesus the Word. That is a deep, deep sim symbolic thought. The word. It, the word's literally logos, which means something spoken or a statement. But think about this. Jesus was the very embodiment of truth. And John records that for us in this letter where Jesus says, I am the truth. The other thing we notice is Jesus was the light. That is the revealer. Light is the revealer. We'll talk about that as well. But Jesus is spoken of being the word and not only the word, but the creative word, but not just the creative word, but the eternal creative word in just these first few verses. So let's think about this for a moment. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That would sound blasphemous to a lot of people because it was such a, a strong idea that uh, of the oneness of God, that he is one person. But what we see here is that uh, Jesus is so united with God and his eternal nature that Jesus not only was with God in the beginning in the creation, but he is God. And he says all things were created by Jesus. And without him, nothing was made that was made. The sun, the stars, the planets, the grass, the dirt, the water. All the work of Jesus Christ. Now his name wasn't Jesus Christ. 
And Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ means the anointed one. It's literally Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus being symbolic of what he would do, which was be the Savior. And so that's the description that Jesus was given when he was born into the world. But what does John say about Jesus before he was born into the world? In the beginning was the Word. That's a very difficult concept to fathom. And again, God writes this in a way that we can understand it. 1 John chapter 1 begins very similar to John's gospel when he says, That which was from the beginning, that is the beginning of creation, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. I want to stop for a minute and I want to think about what John says. He says, We heard him, we saw him, we touched him. Why? Why say that? Because John's about to say some things about Jesus that everybody was questioning. And John is saying, I was there. Jesus was a man. But he was also not just the man. He is the word of life. And I heard him. I saw him. I touched him. And he said the life was manifested as we have seen and bear witness and declare to you, listen, that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That's Jesus. Jesus is that eternal life, which was with the Father, but was made known unto us. In him is life. You cannot separate eternal life from Jesus Christ. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. Notice that the focus is exactly the same, that from the beginning was the word of life and in Him is eternal life. It was made known unto us and that life is the divine Son of God. That is the theme of John's gospel. That Jesus is the Son of God come to live in flesh, to manifest, and to give eternal life. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, God said, I know this is very hard for us to fathom, but Jesus is that creative word that when God says, there it is. He is the executor of God's plan. Jesus has always been the executor of the plan of the Father. He worked through Christ to create all things. He is the living word. This shouldn't have been a shock. Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us make man. Well, who's us? Is God talking to the angels? No. They didn't create man. Who's he talking to? Us. God. Let us. You know, the very word translated God, Elohim, is a plural word. The Father says to the word, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Well, we know that's not the angels. We're not like the angels. But Jesus says later through John that when we are resurrected, we'll be like the angels in a certain way. But it also says we'll be like Christ, the glorified Christ after his resurrection. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. 
So just right there in those two verses, we, we see somebody, a son, is going to be born and be what? The ruler. You know, many people have read this and suppose this is talking about some ruler that came in the days of Isaiah. And some have said it was Mayor Shalahashbaz, which I realize that's a mouthful. Uh, and then some have said, well, this was a prophecy about Hezekiah. But let's, let's look at some of the thoughts that follow this idea of this son being a ruler. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Mm, I don't think Hezekiah could wear that one. Everlasting Father. You know what that means? Father of eternity. Prince of peace. Now listen to verse 7. This is very telling. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Everlasting kingdom. Who rules over it? The mighty God. And then he says, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with what? With judgment and justice, which are the habitation of thy throne. We read from Psalms 89, 17. Or 14, Psalms 89, 14. To order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Well, Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2 who he's talking about. Speaking of David, he says, Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on what? The throne of David. And then he talks about that kingdom being everlasting. Jesus is not created. Jesus is eternal. In John chapter 8 and 56, Jesus was having a conversation with the Pharisees and they were making all kinds of accusations. And during this conversation, they tell Jesus, Abraham is our father. Why? Well, Jesus said, don't say to yourselves, Abraham is your father. They said, Abraham is our father. He said, no, Abraham's not your father. They said, we have even one father, God. He said, God's not your father either. You have your father, the devil. Now that got them really riled up, but not as riled up as about what Jesus is, is what Jesus is about to say. Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And they thought he was crazy. Then said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? I mean, this would be like everybody standing around. Somebody says something. Everybody laughs at the crazy guy because they're like, okay, Abraham was like 2000 years ago and you're not 50. And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by I am? He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. No, he said, I am. Well, they knew what he meant. Because he could tell them their father was the devil, but he couldn't say, I am God. Because that provoked them not to just be angry, but to pick up stones. They wanted to kill him. Because they knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said, I am. You remember that, don't you? From our study in Exodus, where Moses goes and he speaks to God and, and he says, God, I don't know who to tell him sent me. What's your name? And God says, I am that I am. You tell him, I am sent you, which literally means I exist. I am that I am. I am not created. I'm not was. I'm not will be. I just am, I am, I exist. They got that. Jesus himself claimed to be eternal, wonderful counselor, the mighty God in a human body. 
Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated is God with us. Matthew says the same. Jesus is not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a, a person endued with wisdom. Not just a sacrifice for our sins. But he is God with us. God in the flesh. John 3 and verse 13, Jesus himself said, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Now this has puzzled a lot of people. First of all, it's puzzled a lot of people because Jesus said no one ascended to heaven. And so automatically someone thinks, well, Elijah ascended into heaven on a chariot of fire. And then we've, we've got uh, Enoch. He went up to heaven. Okay, get the point Jesus is making. He's talking to Nicodemus here about the fact that he knows the Father intimately. Why? Because he has come down from heaven. And what he's saying is no one has ascended up into heaven to see God and come back. It's not that nobody's ever ascended to heaven. He's saying no one has ascended to heaven and is here on the earth except for me who came down from heaven. And then he calls himself the Son of Man. This is another term that Jesus used in a descriptive way and also in a prophetic way to tell us who he is, the Son of Man. It was a humble term that he used about himself, that he was truly a human, living in a human body. But he also, here's the other thing that puzzles people, who is in heaven? Wait, what? But he's with Nicodemus, but he's in heaven. Again, don't get so hung up on being literal that you misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He is connecting himself with God. Connecting himself with God. John 6, 62. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend? Now notice where he was before. This tells us something about Jesus. Jesus did not spring into existence when Mary conceived a child. He already existed. He just came to earth. That's different from every other person that's ever existed. Nobody has ever come from God. That's another false doctrine that's being taught in the world today that we somehow pre-existed before our existence on earth. That's not the truth. Jesus pre-existed. He's always existed. He is eternal. And he came from heaven. So again, the Son of Man, this is how Jesus describes himself. So there's two things that John kind of focuses on, the Son of God and the Son of Man. All right, moving on. We're now at verse 4. This is why we're doing 18 verses. That was the heaviest section, though. We're, we're already halfway through the slideshow. Okay, John chapter 1, verse 4. So after he establishes that in Jesus was life, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light. Of men, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Here again is another uh, analogous statement. This is not a literal statement. This is an analogous statement about darkness and light. It's figurative language. What do we associate when we associate light? Good. But also clarity, right? We see something. Something's manifest. In the darkness, things are obscure. We don't recognize things in the dark. It's hard to see in the dark. Also, we recognize darkness associated with evil works. In fact, in John chapter 3, Jesus lays that out for Nicodemus when he says men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil and they don't come to the light lest their deeds be exposed because that's what light does. It exposes things. So what was Jesus coming to do? To expose or to make known eternal life. 
The light shined in the darkness, he said. Why? Because that is where Jesus came to. A world of darkness, a world of misunderstanding, a world of confusion. But he says the, the darkness didn't comprehend it. What does he mean, the darkness didn't comprehend it? We'll, we'll pick back up on that here in a, in, a, in a few minutes. He switches gears, though. There was a man named John. Okay, John the Baptist. Not, not John who's writing, but John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God, he says, whose name was John. Well, we know he was sent from God. There was prophecies about John. Jesus validates John several times by saying there's no greater prophet than John. So, but it says this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, which is Jesus. That all through him, not through John, but Jesus might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. You see the big, heavy dose of light here in John's writing? Over and over, he's telling us, Jesus is the light, the light, the light. Why? Because he's the word. He's the revealer. He's the real embodiment of everything that is true. In fact, every truth about our existence is answered within Jesus Christ. And without him, nothing is answered. Nothing. He is the embodiment of God's will and plan for this world and for us. Jesus is the light. John 8, 12, Jesus himself identifies this fact about himself when he says, I am the light of the world. Now notice, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. So here's another element of darkness and light where Jesus is contrasting walking in darkness with following him because he is what? He is the light of what? The light of life. What's that mean? The way to life. He didn't just come to show us what eternal life was. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. All three of those things work together, the way and the truth. For what purpose? To life. I am the life. I am the light of life. I am the light of the world. John 1.14, the word became flesh. This is how we know John was talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now this one is very important, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is another phrase that's very common to this letter, the only begotten of the Father. You can think of a verse right now, the one that everybody used to paint on themselves, the football game, John three sixteen. What does Jesus say? The begotten, the only begotten of the Father. There again, connecting himself with the Son, his sonship, Relating to the Father, to the Father God. He's the only begotten of the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 says this. God who at various times, about quoted the King James, and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by who? His Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the worlds. Exactly what John tells us in John chapter 1. But look at verse 3 who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So Jesus is the brightness of the glory of God. You want to know the glory of God, what it looks like? Look at Jesus and you'll know. Jesus is the brightness of his glory. 
we would say he is the greatest shining forth of the glory of God. That's the idea that's being given here. But he also says he's the express image of his person. That word literally means like a die, like a stamp. He's the perfect image of who God is in a bodily form. And then he says this, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he himself had purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. <clears throat> Here's what Jesus would say in John 17, 5. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. Listen, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. This pretty much does away with the whole fact that Jesus was created when the world was created, doesn't it? Jesus doesn't say here, the glory that I had before I was sent. He says, the glory that I had before the world was. Jesus already had glory, already existed, always existed, and existed before the world was ever created. And John outlines that for us here in his gospel in this prayer that Jesus gives before he goes to the cross. Okay, back to John chapter 1. It says of Jesus, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Okay, that's a reference back to what he said a minute ago, that in him was light, and the light shone in the darkness, but the darkness comprehended it not. He was talking about the world not recognizing him, not knowing him. And it says he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. I believe he's talking about the Jews here. Jesus came to the lost sheep of Israel, the ones who were supposed to be looking for his coming. And what they do? They rejected him. But he says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right. That word is power in the King James, but the word literally means privilege or right. That's what the word right means here. He gave them the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Who were not born, not of blood, oh, I'm sorry, who were born rather, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So let's think about what he's saying here for a moment. He says, as many as received Jesus, when he came and he was manifest as the light of life, as many as received him, Jesus gave them the privilege to do what? Become the children of God. Being born again. They were born. Was he talking about their fleshly birth? No, he makes certain. We understand. I'm not, I'm not talking about them being born into this world. I'm not talking about them being born by the will of some man. I'm talking about them being born as a child of God by the will of God, which John picks right back up two chapters later, which we'll look at in just a moment. Notice James 1.18 speaks the same thing, of his own will. That's God's will. He brought us forth. That's birth, new birth. How? By the word of truth. He's talking about the gospel here that we might be kind of a first fruits of his creatures. That word creatures, we think of creatures that curl around. He means created beings. We are, we've been created in Christ Jesus through the word of truth, a new creature, a new birth. <clears throat> John 3, verses 3 through 7. This is one of the instances where the kingdom is mentioned out of the two times that the kingdom is mentioned. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born 
again, which is what John just mentioned. He gave them the right to be the children of God, being born by the will of God. Jesus is explaining that to Nicodemus, and that's why John's recording it, because he's going back to what he said in chapter 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is thinking literally. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? I mean, if you think like Nicodemus, it sounds ridiculous, right? Nicodemus is going, I'm an old man. And you're saying I can't see the kingdom of God unless I'm born again? I'm going I'm to go back into my mother's womb and be born? You can almost hear kind of some sarcasm here, like, like you're, you're talking crazy. And Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. We just read that in John 1, right? Who were born not of flesh, but of the will of God. Well, that's what Jesus tells Nicodemus. Look, don't get confused. I'm not talking about a physical birth here. I'm talking to you about a spiritual birth. Don't marvel. Don't be surprised. Don't be amazed that I tell you must be born again. It's not anything mystical, okay? You're not going to become a baby again, literally. But you're going to become a new creature. And in fact, if you don't, you won't see the kingdom. You cannot enter the kingdom. Now, this is not a shock to you, but, but this new birth that we're talking about here obviously is talking about baptism. In fact, in Titus chapter 3 and verses 4 through 7, it says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, listen, through the washing of regeneration. That literally means the bathing of rebirth. Go look at the Greek. The bathing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. He just told him, except you be born again of the water and the Spirit. Paul ties that together here in Titus 2. And notice that this verse says we're not saved by works, but we are saved by baptism. You see that here in this text. And then it says, whom he poured out on us abundantly. That's kind of an odd statement, isn't it? God poured out Jesus on us abundantly. No, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. You see that? <laughs> he poured him out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of what? Eternal life. What's the way to life? We've got to be born again first. That's the way to life. But life is not in the ritual. Life is in Christ. This is God's way. This is God's truth. Jesus came to bear witness of that truth, and he bore it to Nicodemus. He bore it uh, as he walked through the earth. He told men, I am the light. Follow me. Follow me. I'm the light. Don't walk in darkness. Follow me. It's all about Jesus. Galatians 3, 26, for you're all sons of God. Again, he gave them the right, the privilege to become what? The sons of God. Of God, he says, for you're all the sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Why are we sons of God? Because we put on God's son. And so how does God see us? As a son. Now I want to tell you something. Even if you're a woman here tonight, God sees you as a son. You say, well, that's weird. No, no, no. Follow me here on this thinking that Paul's giving us here. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither male or slave 
nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Why did you just say we're sons? Here's why. If you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs, according to the purpose. Here's the purpose of saying there's neither male nor female. The sons were always the heir. He's not saying there's gender neutrality in Christ Jesus. No, he's saying God views you, whether you're a man or a woman, as an heir of God because you put on his son. He's connecting us with his son who is the heir, and we are now joint heirs with Jesus because we've been born again and believed in Jesus. So he gives us the right, the privilege, to become an heir, a son a child of God. 1 Peter 1, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, there's same type language, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now listen to verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God. We've come full circle, haven't we? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest embodiment of truth. And Jesus had a lot to say about the truth. Because even though God had revealed some truth to man, Jesus came and revealed God's entire purpose. He revealed God's character. He revealed God's justice. He revealed God's grace, God's mercy. He was the revealer of truth. Hebrews chapter 1, going back to Hebrews 1, 4 through 6, having become so much better than the angels as he is by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And sometimes people say, I wonder what his name was. What was that name? Well, we'll have to keep reading to find that out. But hold on to that. Okay, here it is, verse 5. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? There's the name. Son of God. There's the name that Jesus was given that is above all the angels that shows his inheritance. He said, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Jesus is not an angel. The angels worship Jesus because he is God, because he is deity. And he says, of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Listen to verse 8. But to the son, he says, let's stop right there. To the Son, he says. Who's he? God. God said this to the angels, but he said this to the Son. Your throne, O God. That's the Father to the Son. Calls him God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Isaiah 9, 6. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Isaiah 9, 6. It'll be established in justice and judgment forever. All these things are tied together through John's letter and in the prophets and in the other writings of the New Testament. All right, John chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Something interesting about John is that John the Baptist is, is thrown out here in the Gospel of John. It's talked about quite a bit in chapter 1, but there's no mention about John preaching about the coming kingdom. Because again, that's not the focus of John's letter. What's the focus of John the Baptist in all the other Gospels? The kingdom. But here, what is it? That John was to bear witness of the light. And what does he say? 
John says, he who comes before after me is preferred before me because why? He was before me. Well, let's do some math. Who was born first into the world? John or Jesus? You remember when Mary goes and sees uh, her cousin Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John, six months pregnant with John, and Mary just found out she's conceived a baby. Well, John's six months older than Jesus in a worldly sense. And so here John is revealing again something about Jesus' eternity. He was before me, and so he's preferred before me. Of his fullness, we have all received. Now, this is not John speaking. This is John writing. John, don't get those mixed up. This is not John the Baptist speaking in verse 16. 15 is the quote by John the Baptist. This is John the Apostle here writing again, back into the narrative. In his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This phrase, grace for grace, uh, the word means grace upon grace. And think about this, not just grace, but grace upon grace, an abundance of grace, we would say. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came how? Through Jesus Christ. Now, did Moses reveal truth? Yes, he did. The law of God is truth, isn't it? Is it not? Is the law of God not truth? Did Moses not reveal truth? In fact, God said, I, I'm not going to make the prophets like Moses. The prophets will have dark sayings. They'll speak from visions and dreams, but I'm going to speak clearly to Moses, mouth to mouth, like a friend. Did Moses reveal truth? Yes. So he's not talking about truth in general, is he? What's he talking about? The truth of eternal life. The truth of of God's plan for man, the truth that saves us. The real embodiment of every true thing Moses said is embodied in Jesus Christ because Moses was the shadow, Jesus is the substance. He is the truth of what Moses said that was true. Does that make sense? John four twenty one, Jesus talking to the woman at the well says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. She wants to have a discussion about where a person should worship. She said, our fathers worship in the mountain, you worship in Jerusalem, so let's talk about that. And he said, the hour is coming that it's not, you're not going to be even talking about that. And then he says this in verse 22, you worship what you do not know. That being hard to hear, I'm sure, because she wants to talk about where to worship, and he says, let's talk about what you worship first, because you don't understand that. So the where's irrelevant. I mean, if you don't know what you're worshiping, the discussion about geography really doesn't matter. You don't know what you worship. What did Jesus come to do? To show us what we worship? To really reveal to us who God truly was? What's he say? The hour is coming, verse 23, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? In spirit and in truth. Now, I know at times we've said this means according to the word of God. It's bigger than that. Jesus is talking about you'll know the Father. You'll know who the Father is. And you'll worship him in that truth. You'll know the Father. God is a spirit, he says. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. It's not about the mountain. It's not about the city. It's about the God that you're worshiping. That's where your focus should be. But he said, you don't understand that right now, but you will. 
And he said, in fact, every true worshiper will understand that, who the Father is. You know, this is another interesting thing about John's gospel is we see this idea of the Father and my Father being used throughout the other gospels. You say, that's pretty heavy right there, 48 times. John says it 125 times. And I'm not talking about the generic usage of the word Father. I mean specifically the capitalized Father where Jesus says the Father or my Father. 125 times. Why? Because that's the focus of John's letter. His relationship to God, not just as God and the Savior, but the Father and the Son. And so Jesus is the revealer of the Father. See, Jesus said in verse 29 of John 7 here, I know him. I know him. For I'm from him and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him. Isn't that sad? Jesus came to the darkness and he said, here's the light. And they said, we don't like the light. Let's, let's take him. But again, it says nobody touched him because it wasn't his time. Last verse from John 1 tonight. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father. Now, this is present tense. John's writing present tense who is in currently in the bosom of the father. He's already ascended. He hath declared him. Why? Because Jesus is the light. Jesus said, if you'd known me, if you'd known me, you would have known my father. And from now on, you know him if you've seen me. They said, show us the father. Jesus says, you've been with me all this time and you say, show me the father. I've been showing you the father this whole time. I'm the light. This is where he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm showing you the Father. Final verse of the evening, John 20, 30 through 31. John bookends. Now, this isn't the last chapter of John's letter, okay? This is the next to last chapter, but this is a bookend thought that he gives toward the end of his letter. When he says, truly did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Again, he only records seven miracles of Jesus. But notice that the signs that he did include specifically for this purpose. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is who? The anointed, the son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. I hope the study's been beneficial to you tonight. I hope that as we go through this book that it will interest you, it'll intrigue you. This is going to be a great study, Lord willing. I think we're going to learn a lot of things so we go through the book of John. Um, tonight, if you're not a child of God, uh, if you'll believe in Jesus and you'll be united with him, he will give you the, he'll give you that right. He'll give you that privilege to become his son and make you an heir with Christ, a joint heir with him and give you eternal life. And there's no greater blessing than you can have than that. Uh, please come have a seat as we stand and we sing and make your wishes known.